We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. A baby truly does change everything, and I am so thankful this year that the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, that that baby changed not only the world, but he changed my life. I'm here today because baby Jesus was born. He lived 33 years of sinless perfection. He was crucified on a cross called Calvary. They took him and they placed him in the borrowed tomb of a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, but that man did not stay there. He rose from the grave, defeating sin and death and Satan forevermore. He is the victorious king of glory. He stayed 40 days on the earth in his resurrected form until he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And for 2,000 years we wait and we look towards heaven for the next time that Jesus comes to earth. Praise God that a baby changes everything. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be in Colossians 3.22 through chapter 4, verse 1, as we continue our study together, looking at the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ as we journey through this wonderful Bible book, the book of Colossians. And as you're taking just a moment to find your place there, I wonder, do you like your job? Are you good at it? Would you consider yourself talented at what you do? Do you Are you fulfilled in your job? Is it something that you're passionate about? Is it something that you hoped you would do? Is it a job you plan to keep for a long time? In general, are you someone who likes work? Are you someone who enjoys employment and enjoys being a part of that? What part of your job do you like? What part of your job could you do without? Now, I want you to know, students today, I'm, I'm glad you guys are here. Um, you've got a job to do right now, too. Some of you have other jobs as well, part-time jobs or after-school jobs. But if you're a student, you've got a job. So I guess I could ask you, um, do you like school? Are you good at school? Do you apply yourself at school? When we think about what it looks like in our everyday life, we need to know that our faith and our Christianity affects every single facet of who we are. As we walk through the book of Colossians and we walk through the richly doctrinal and theological parts, we now find ourselves in the, towards the end of the book in the much more practical parts. And you remember a couple of weeks ago as we started talking about the family and we talked about a husband's relationship to his wife and wife to the husband. And then last week we had the privilege of talking about what godly families look like and the way that children are supposed to relate to their parents and parents to their children. And so Paul now turns to another very practical portion of life and talks about our work life and who it is that we ultimately work for. Oftentimes people ask you, who's your boss or who's your supervisor or who's your manager? And certainly the Lord has appointed earthly people in those positions. But ultimately, who do you work for. Um, when we think about that, we're going to, just a moment, we're going to read together, and, and there's going to be a word. Some of you have already cheated and read this passage, or you've already looked down and, and read a little bit of it this morning, and that's okay. But you already know the word that I'm talking about, because when you see this word, it jumps off the page, and maybe you wondered how we were going to handle that, because the word is slavery. 
And so in the book of Colossians, as well as other places in the New Testament, Paul does not back away from this word. And so because he uses the word, people have misunderstood that Paul somehow condoned slavery, that the New Testament or biblical Christianity was pro-slavery, and nothing could be further from the truth. Because what we find in the, in the New Testament is nowhere in the New Testament is slavery condoned, but it's interesting that Paul doesn't take any amount of time for to speak against it. It was a part of society, and as such, what we know about the early church is, is that they saw the role of the church, and we need to hear this today. The role of the church was to be sure that hearts and lives were changed. When Christian circles get too forward in the social justice movement, what happens is we forget that the main mission of the church is that hearts would be restructured, not governmental systems. Now, what's so powerful about that is that when hearts are changed, then systems change. It is fascinating that people have tried to misuse the New Testament to say that slavery is okay, yet the New Testament was the driving force behind people like William Wilberforce and his move to abolish slavery because of the biblical understanding that all men are created equal because they are what? In the imago Dei or in the image of God. That it is for freedom that Christ set us free. And so as we understand this today, what we know is, is that the application goes certainly for a slave and master, but it goes for a employer and an employee. It goes for a student and a teacher. It goes for an athlete and a coach. It has to do with anyone who is in a role where you have any form of supervision, or if you're a person who is in a supervisor or a management role of any reason. So as we read this together, what we're asking is, last week, two weeks ago, we talked about how does Christianity affect our marriage? Then we talked about how does it affect our life with our kids? And now we're talking about how does it affect our work life? Let's stand together and discover that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven." Lord, teach us today that the way we carry out our job matters to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated this morning. And what we prayed is our big idea this morning, that the way we carry out our job, whether or not you are an employee or an employer, whether or not you are a student or whether or not you are a teacher, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a coach, whatever role that you're in, it is imperative that we carry our Christian faith and implement that into the practical, everyday aspects of our lives. So we're going to break this down in, into two main points. Very simply, number one, number one, serve those in authority as you would serve Christ. Serve those in authority as you would serve Christ. We just read that together, and it's very simple. 
It's talking about obedience in everything, not just when eyes are on you, but even when you are when nobody's looking because you're doing it out of a sincerity of heart because your desire is to do what is to please the Lord. It may be that you have people that there just is no pleasing. Have you had that type of boss before? You ever worked for that kind of person? Didn't matter what you did or how you did it, it was never going to be good enough. But you need to know that it's not just your manager. It's not just your supervisor's eyes that are on you. That ultimately the eyes of the Lord go to and fro. And that because of that, 24-7, God is watching. So because of that, the reason that we are called to do the absolute best we can with whatever we've been called to do is because ultimately who, what we know is we serve God, not man. And so whatever it is that your job is, whether you're a student, whether you're an employee, what we know is that that is your mission field. God has given that to you. So we need to quit breaking down as a church, I think, far too often. We speak too much about having ministry or vocational ministry callings and that being the only people that have a calling on their life. Because my whole life, I believe that I could either be a preacher or a missionary or I could do whatever I wanted. And it, I came to understand something, and I want you to understand this. Whether or not you're called to vocational ministry or not, you're called to ministry. It's why students ought to be praying and thinking about not just what do I want to be when I grow up or what do I want to major in, but what does God want me to do with my life? If that's teach, if that's coach, if that's nursing or the medical field, if that's an engineer, if that's a lawyer, if that's a businessman, whatever it may be, it ought to be that it is not only a calling from the Lord, but you say, well, hold on a minute. I'm in my mid-40s and I'm in this career and I've been in this career for a long time. And I don't know that when I was their age, I thought anything about a calling. So what am I supposed to do now? Whatever it is that you're doing now, you start seeing it as the mission field that you've been given. You've been given an assignment. You've been given a task. You have people that you work with. You have people that you work for. And how you do your job absolutely matters to the Lord. The Bible tells us, verse 24, that reward comes from the Lord as well, verse 25, as consequences and penalties. So when we work, we like to get paid. Amen? You like getting paid? That's, that's, okay. that's biblical. You don't have to nod that off like you're in church. It, it is absolutely biblical to want to be paid, to expect a fair wage. That's fair. That being said, so because of that, what we know is that certainly on this side of life that we want to be compensated. Some of you right now, if we took a poll, I doubt very many people would say, oh, I'm paid way too much. They ought to take some away from me. Most people say, you know, I think I, I probably could deserve a little bump. I, th I think I could probably, I hope I get a raise. You know, there's a new year coming. I, I hope I get some more money next year. Whether or not you're making all the money that you could possibly imagine or whether you think you are grossly underpaid. One of the things that you can know is that because the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro, that the Lord is watching. And so the investment that you are making is not just for a Roth IRA. It's not just for a 401k what we recognize is that you're going to spend a whole lot more time away from this earth than you're spending on it. 
So what that means is, is that whether or not you ever build your financial portfolio to whether what you hoped it would be or you don't, what you are doing is building something in the kingdom of heaven and you're making an investment. And you say, well, well, well Larry, I'm, I'm going to church and I serve in these different ways and I've got all this other stuff going on. If you take your work life out, then you have taken the dominant place in your life where you have been given an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be salt and to be light. And so the Bible speaks to us that we need to understand that, we, that since we are all, 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we are going to give an account for the things we have done while in the body, whether good or bad, that means that those things that we do as a student, those things that we do as an athlete, those things that we do as a child of God, as an employer, as an employee, those things matter. So what does that mean for you and I, especially those of you that are saved? Because when, when I say that, and sometimes I draw some lines, I've got some people listening to this sermon who don't know the Lord. There are people that are in this sanctuary that may not have ever received Christ as Savior. There are people listening online right now who you're not born again. You're not saved. And, and you need to know that when we say a baby changes everything, if you would get saved, it would change everything about your life, including your work life. But if you are saved, it ought to be that we have this deep understanding that saved, born again, justified, redeemed children of God ought to be the best workers. You ought to have the best attitude, you ought to be the most dependable, and you ought to be the person with the most integrity. It ought to be said of you, absolutely those things. Because you bear the name of Christ, there are some things that go with that. But, but let's talk about some things that I think are really, really important. I think far too often we promise things to Christian workers that the Bible doesn't promise. If you'll just do a good job and represent the Lord, then everything's going to work out great at your job. The Bible never says that. You can do a fantastic job, represent the Lord well, and things still go terribly at your job. But the motivation for doing it is not always for financial gain. The motivation for doing it is because it's the right thing to do by the Lord. And so when we understand that, we also need to understand what this is not. This is not a call to workaholism. This is not a call that you have to burn the candle at both ends. This does not, is not a call saying that you have to, to work 120 hours a week. What this is a call to do is that while you are working, that when you are supposed to be working, that while you are at work, you should do a good job. Isn't that simple? But that's simple. I think that is so applicable because you have a calling that's placed on your life and you have made a deal or a bargain for this employment. You have accepted it. So because of that, it comes on us to do the best job that we can yet what we see now is that it's not that diligence and hard work are the orders of the day most times it is let's figure out how little we can do to just get by look i've got i've got 
students that live at my house, and we have the conversation all the time, well, I can get an A if I just do this. Well, that's fine to get an A, but let's not have the idea that let's do as little as we can to get where we need to get. Sometimes we need to do the best we can. In fact, in everything we need to do that. In our lives, we look and see how often we see with people that, well, I'm going to get paid the same thing whether or not I do a good job or a bad job or whether or not I'm here or I'm not here or whether or not I really applied myself or I haven't really applied myself. So I'm just going to get by. Not only for older people that are listening to me today, but I want to warn a younger generation. If you start that when you're in high school and college, you will still live like that when you're 50 and 60 years old. Because one of the greatest things that you're doing, when you ask those questions, well, I just don't understand why I have to be in algebra, why I have to be in trigonometry. I'm never going to use any of this. Or you take an English class and you read a book and you think, well, this isn't even worth spending my time reading. Listen to me. Even though you may not use every single element of what you're studying, you are building a life pattern for yourself about how you are going to approach things in life. Am I going to do a good job? And so we need to say, and I know this is strong, but if you aren't doing the best you can, the Bible says that you're a thief. Now that's an odd way to phrase this, but what I mean a thief, you're stealing. You're stealing because you were called to do a job and you were given it to do, and if you have the ability to do it, then it ought to be that we understand that there is glory in the grind. Now, there's a note for you. Glory in the grind. What does that mean? It means that for a lot of people, as they process this sermon, they're thinking, oh, if I had this big high-profile job, that'd be easy. If I did these things, these spectacular things, it'd be so easy to get fired up about. But what's so important to understand about this is that there is glory in the grind. It doesn't matter who you are, and we look at everybody else, we, we think the grass is always greener on the other side. But 80% of everyone's work life is a grind. That doesn't mean that there's not 20% of it that's not glorious, but no matter what you do, most of it is a grind. Most of it is not wonderful and joyful and easy and fun. There are just day-to-day -day requirements that are mundane and have to be done, and they aren't glorious and they aren't covered in glitter. They're just part of the day. And how we do those things, that matters. That absolutely matters. Proverbs 22 and 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. So I went to the ant. The Bible told me to go to the ant, so I started studying the ant. That'd be a good, that, something you ought to look up. They're incredible. I mean, they're incredible. It's amazing that I pour poison on these things all of the time. Because they're incredible. It, I don't know if you, you realize this, but if an ant was the size of a human being, they actually could run faster than a galloping horse. If an ant, an ant can lift 20 times its own body weight, that would be the equivalent of me picking up 
and shoulder pressing 4,000 pounds. That's the power that an ant has. So when it says go to the ant, it's saying be industrious. Do with what you have the best that you can. Serve those in authority as you would serve Christ. And then treat those under your supervision as you would treat Christ. 4.1. Provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So it's not just employees, but it's employers as well. We treat employees as we would treat Christ himself. We treat them with honesty. We treat them with righteousness. One of the practical ways that I think that is done is you don't throw your weight around just to be throwing your weight around. You don't constantly play favorites. You try to be positive rather than threatening. You expect the best. If you want the best out of an employee, you need to be the best. If you want your employees to improve, you need to improve. If you, one of the things that, that I think Jesus taught us on, in servant leadership, we shouldn't ask people to do things that we aren't willing to do. Part of that shows that there's an integrity that is in that. And so when we talk about employees, when we talk about what that means to be a manager, to be a supervisor, to be a boss, that we come at it with the understanding that if people are under my watch care, whatever that is, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a supervisor, would those people believe that I'm saved? Do the people that work under my supervision, after having worked for me for years or for even weeks or months, would they say, oh yeah, they're a believer and I have no trouble believing that? Or would they say, that dude goes to church? Him? You see, I think there's a call on our lives to recognize that absolutely we need to carry out ourselves in a way that we recognize that we are representing Jesus and that we ultimately answer to God whether or not we're an employee, supervisor, manager, whatever that may be. So I think we need to, to kind of boil this down for all of us today, whether or not you're an employee or employer or you're a little bit of both because there's a lot of people that fit both categories you are over people but you've also got people that are over you right so how does that how do we kind of boil this all down H how do we get there well I, I think for for saved people again we want to draw distinctions distinctions between our family life and our work life and our church life and our hobbies but the fascinating thing about the new testament is the bible draws no distinctions absolutely no distinction that we have one life and it's all blended together. So what we know then is that we don't ignore the ordinary daily task of life. Sometimes we're all the time, we're built like this, we're waiting on the next big thing. But the reason it's a big thing is because it's rare. If, if all you had was something big, then even the big things would become ordinary. So during the weeks where it's just a normal week, during the week where it's just humdrum during the week where it's just work a day sometimes we need to be reminded that if we're always waiting on the spectacular you're going to be living 80 percent of your life in depression and in anxiety and doing a poor job because the majority of what you do is day-to-day tasks taking care of what is put in front of you what did i do today 
Can I put my stamp on this day and said, I did my best. I tried to treat people well. I tried to do my work with excellence. I tried to represent Jesus well. I tried my absolute best. Now, I'm going to tell you this. You're fallen, so because you're a fallen person, some days are going to be better than others. Some days, um, you're going to look back and say, whew, kind of miss a mark on that one. Some days you're going to look up and I think all of us are going to say, I probably should have handled that a little differently. But instead of causing you to give up, that ought to be a motivation that I want to continually get better. Wherever you are, and I had a good friend of mine that taught me this years ago, and I'm still trying to learn it, but a very good friend of mine, he was a minister to college students and worked specifically um, with community college students who often are transitional and Obviously, you know, they're not there at the most, maybe two years before they're moving on. And, and, and he used to tell those students, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. And I think that is so rich. And here's why. If you don't approach life like this, and I've talked about this many times because I think it's important to remind you, all you will ever do, we set patterns like this, is wait on the next phase of life. I just want to get here. I just want to get here. And before you know it, you've never been where you are. But you, you follow me on that? If all you ever want to do is get to high school, you're going to get to high school, and after a little while of that, you just want to get to college. And then maybe you do go to college, and maybe you go to Southwest or Colin, and then all you want to do is get to senior college, and then all you want to do is graduate, and then all you want to do is get married, then all you want to do is have some kids, and then all you want to do is get those kids out of your house, and then all you want to do is retire, and then all you want to do is die. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, right? You see what I'm like? So at some point, stop. Just stop and be where you are. All in. All in at this phase of my life. This is where I am. This is where God has me, and I want to embrace it. 80% of people say that they want more fulfillment out of their jobs. Well, what we know is that God created us for work. Work was part of the human life before the fall came to man. But the reason 80% of people are unsatisfied with their job, I believe, is that they are looking for work to do something for them that work was never meant to do. I told you a couple of weeks ago talking about wives and husbands. I truly believe that one of the reasons we have such a high failure rate in marriage, even among Christian couples, is that we expect way too much out of another individual. We expect them to be for us what only God can be. Well, if you expect somebody to be what God can be, they're going to disappoint you all the time. Work is a lot like that. Because I, I just want to warn you, even if you have a great job, even if you love your job, even if every aspect of it you, fits you to a T, I can tell you there are going to be a lot more times than not that you're going to find yourself going, oh, and if you're looking for ultimate fulfillment out of that, you're going to be, that's going to be a tough call. So because we know that, we know that our career can't give ultimate purpose. It can't substitute for our family. It can't substitute for church. It can't substitute for obedience to God. 
but it can, a career can provide enjoyment, it can provide fulfillment, it can provide strong relationships, it can provide a chance to be a witness. There is so much that a career can provide. I shared this years ago, and it stuck out in my mind. The church historian Justin Martyr, in talking about the history of the early church, said something that, that you could almost miss in passing in reading church history. But before I tell you what he said, do any of you know what Jesus did for a living? The rabbi, right? But before that, he did till he was 30. He, we have no recorded miracles of Jesus. For, for all collective purposes, we believe that there was, there was no Messiahship announcement, that he just grew up and worked and did what? Carpenter. And just, this is just a different way to think about Jesus. We think about him in the manger. We think about him on the cross. We think about him risen. We think about him walking on water. We think about him healing people. But, but think about Jesus at a table building something. Tools in hand, wood in front. He is making something. Now, what kind of job do you think Jesus did as a carpenter? Justin Martyr records in church history that in the 2nd century A.D., they were still using plows that Jesus had made before he announced his public ministry. That, that's unthinkable. Like, even now, if I told you there was a 100-year-old plow, you'd be like, 100 years old? That's old. But in the last hundred years, we have modern metals and modern machinery. We're talking about something that was built out of, out of wood. Now, how he did that, I don't know. I'm sure it helped that he was God. But I think it illustrates us well that Jesus wasn't sitting there at 27 like, I don't care about this. I'm the son of God. I don't care about this plow. I'm about to get started and tell everybody I'm the Messiah. I'm about to start walking the countryside and preaching. So I really don't care about this shelf that I'm building. I don't care if it's uneven. Then deal with it. I'm not sure you don't learn more about the person and work of Christ sometimes thinking about him sitting at a lamp-lit shop table recognizing that my time is coming to announce what it is that God has sent me to do, but for now, I'm building a plow. For now, I'm building this shelf, and that's what God has given me to do, so I'm going to do the best job I can. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible to think about it like that. Matthew 20, 26. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your servant. So it's not only that we work for the Lord, but we serve the people that God places us around. Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I'm a pastor. You do different things. We all, it's amazing. Just looking around, I... I get 
fascinated just thinking about just in this room, not to mention all the people that are listening, all the different careers that are represented. In my life, I, I, I fail way more than I succeed. People that are close to me would, can vouch for that. But I tell you this, it's always been my one of the goals of my life. Sounds crazy. I want to be a good pastor. I just do. I, I, I want to I want to preach well and love well and lead well. I, I want to. And, and maybe some of that is pride that needs to be checked at the door. But my hope is that the reason ultimately that I want to do that is because I recognize that I am representing the Lord and I want to do a good job and I want to hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that one day. Now, all of you aren't pastors and all of you aren't called to be pastors. But all of you are something and you've been called to be something. And it should be every one of our job to make it a goal to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant.